dad listened to the recording and he was like, who is that person you were talking to in the recording? Um, <laughs> um, what was I saying? Left-handedness was, has been considered historically as inferior. Um, you used to get the cane for writing with your left hand. Anyone from that generation? <laughs> Anyone get the cane? No. <laughs> ah, Laurie. Yeah, but probably for everything. Um, <laughs> my dad was forced to write with his right hand. Um, the word gauche in French is where we get the word awkward and it means left-handed. The Latin word sinister means left-handed. Was given to people who are wicked and evil. There's a historical fact for you. The expression, um, or that was left-handed or left field, um, describes something that was not done the good old-fashioned right-handed way. Like something that was just out of the box or unexpected. We said that was so left field. That was so left-handed. All right. Um, and so, any left-handers? I'm a lefty. Is there seriously three left-handers in the church? <laughs> well, apparently we're awkward. <laughs> hey. But, you know, I actually read that they're highly intelligent people, so. <laughs> I, it was on Pinterest, but. <laughs> anyway, okay, so what am I talking about? He, the title of this message is probably a good place to start. Um, but I just want to let us know that Ehud, this lefty, this left-handed saviour, um, he makes this personal private decision behind closed doors, you know, in secret, to single-handedly, pun intended, overthrow the enemy. But before he does this, this is sounding super echoey by the way, I sound like Jesus. Um, he, he fashions himself a double-edged sword. This is going to be really important for our message this morning. Uh, the message is called Own Your Sword or option two, uh, Fashioned Heroes. Last week we talked about owning our thirst and, and the first foundation last week we talked about for the calling of God on our lives is the Holy Spirit. Right, the second foundation is the Word of God, because without the Holy Spirit, you have no power. But without the Word of God, you have no weapon in which to wield that power. So we're going to talk about the Word of God today. Is that all right? Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The Word of God, so this is one of my favorite scriptures, I have a lot, but mm, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Heroes carry swords. We are uh, called to be heroes. This is what this whole series is about. We are called to be heroes regardless of flaws or defect, called to overcome the kingdom of darkness by carrying uh, this two-edged, double-edged sword. But before we use that to complete our assignment, follow me this morning, um, we must fashion it. Ehud fashioned for himself a double-edged sword. Now, fashioning a sword, this is interesting for me. Like, you've got to read the Bible with all five senses. Like, you've got to pretend you were there and think about this. How does a guy with one hand fashion a sword? Like, do you know how it is not a quick task? It is not an easy task. It requires fire. No microwaves in those days had to melt the metal and temper it, and you had to hammer it and beat it into shape. To forge a sword is a process. And so, Somehow he does it. Now, I believe God is into this. Um, he spoke creation, but when it came to the pinnacle, the masterpiece of his creation, he fashioned us. He so stopped speaking and he started building. He wasn't content just to say, let there be humans. Have, have we ever considered that? He used his voice for the rest of creation, but when it came to us, he came right up close and he reached down into the raw materials off the earth and he began to fashion and form with his very own hands. 
gripping this raw material when fashioning us. It's illustrating up close intimacy. It's illustrating a personal touch and flair of his own creation. The pot is unique to the potter. Your calling is unique to the hands that crafted you. In the beginning of the word, in the beginning of the, um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John one, verse one. The living word wasn't content to speak you into existence and say, "Let there be humans." He he wanted to leave the fingerprint of the word on you. The word of God is crucial to your calling. It is the very blueprint upon which we build our lives. It is. It is crucial. It is indispensable. God's word is a weapon. I'm so passionate about talking about God's word. God's word is a weapon that must be fashioned before it is fought with. Interesting word here in the Hebrew fashion. It's a word, um, banah, which means to build, to rebuild, or to cause to continue, and to cause to continue. To fashion your sword is to build the word of God into your life and then you rebuild it and you build it again and again and again and you cause it to continue. The word of God is not a one-off event in our life. It's something we are continually building into our lives. It flows through our spiritual veins. It's not not an event. It's a lifestyle. And I believe God, he gives you the raw materials to work with. He gives you the scripture and he gives you the spirit to then understand and illuminate what it is you were reading. But I believe that he leaves the initiative of forging it into something that is a weapon up to us to cause it to continue. And, you know, the word of God, we're going to talk about this. Am I doing your lecture on Friday or Thursday? Friday? I'm doing your Bible study lecture on Friday. I'm excited about it. We're going to talk about this. The Word of God is like a treasure field. And and you'll notice that treasure never lies on the surface. In fact, what adds to its value is the process in which you must go through in which to extract that treasure. And we have to use our hands when it comes to the Word of God. Meaning, we've got to go beyond the surface. Not everything just lies on the surface. And sometimes when we pick up the Scripture, we don't go beyond face value. We don't go beyond the surface. And that's why we end up avoiding books like Leviticus. Because we're like, this currently makes no sense to me. But we have to dig a little bit. You have to dig and you have to get your hands dirty and we have to get down and grip the scriptures, the raw materials and be committed to forging it into something of substance in our lives. Is that making sense? Is that too romantic or like otherworldly? Because I never know when I like write these things and I'm like, this makes so much sense to me and I'm like, does it make sense to anybody else? It's not a weapon unless you fashion it is what I'm trying to say, unless you fashion it. See, Ehud fashioned a sword for himself, by himself in the private secret place. We are all given, we're all given a sword, but many of us don't know how to wield it because we don't fashion it for ourselves. We don't fashion it. When you fashion something for yourself, you make it unique to fit you. You make it unique to fit your hand and your grasp. Somebody else's sword might be too heavy for you, too wide for you, the handle too big for you. I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say here? You've got to fashion it for yourself. Heroes don't use, true warriors don't use somebody else's sword. They have their own. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I heard the whistle. True warriors don't use somebody else's sword. 
they have their own. We, can't, we cannot ride on the coattails of somebody else's calling or knowledge of Scripture. You've been given, this is good news this morning, you've been given your own raw materials to work with, but the, you don't look sideways and compare to somebody else because your eyes, where your eyes go, your hands will ultimately always follow. The minute you look sideways and compare and look at what somebody else is doing, you're going to take your hands off crafting that sword and will end up looking and coveting someone else's calling or someone else's life or someone else's gifts or someone else's authority or knowledge of the scriptures because you're too busy looking at someone else than to build your own. But if you fashion your sword, he will fashion your calling. It's foundational to this series. You know, when I first walked into this church, 2009, it's eight years ago. Can you believe that, Robbie? And I was, I was serving in the kitchen. That's ironic. It's very ironic. It's, well, it's not my place of gifting, but I just, <laughs> I just serve where there's a need. <laughs> but I was 19. How old am I now? 27. I was 19 when I, um, once you have kids, you just forget your age. But um, I was 19 when I walked into this church and Sue was preaching a message called It Is Written. Does anybody remember that? I, you remember it, Ross, because you made the Bible journals for it. So you, you remember that? It's still online and it's still online on our website. Um, it is written and she was just preaching about um, the Word of God and the Bible. And I was so incredibly impacted by what she said. And at the end of it, she, she had Ros make up these Bible journals and they had like a little, and I, I teach this to you guys and I'll be teaching you this on Friday. So I, it's like the fruit of Sue's life is now fruit coming out of my life because I teach other people that strategy, but it is like the soap strategy, you know, scripture, observation, application, prayer. And it's just got, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And it's got it in the Bible journals. It had like a little acrostic to help apply, you know, figure out how to apply the word of God to your life. Anyway, uh, at the end, she was like, if anyone wants to take one of these Bible journals, you know, come up and take one. And I did. I came up and I took one and it was kind of like a bold move because I didn't know anyone in the church yet, really. And it initiated something in me. I picked up a pen and I never put it down from that day. I never put it down. I still have that Bible journal. I still have it. The, the front page is ripped off accidentally, but it's still around. It now belongs in a huge tub full of other journals, like countless journals filled from, from front to back because it's like I started Bible journaling that day and I never stopped. And um, in those years, you know, I wasn't, in, I wasn't in ministry yet or anything like that. I was literally a washed up surfer and I just worked at Hog's Breath. But I, I had no idea, but I was so obsessed with the Word of God. I would like pour over the scriptures and study the scriptures and, and these little Bible journals. Thank you, Ros. It, like they, they were just like my platform to do it off. And I had no idea where I was, why I was doing it in those days. I, just, I spent 50 bucks to buy myself a Greek and Hebrew dictionary. Like I, and I wasn't preaching. I just wanted to know what the Hebrew meant. And I'm like, and I didn't realize in those days that I was fashioning my sword. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was fashioning my sword that would be used eventually to be destructive to the kingdom of darkness. But at the time I was just fashioning and I was using my hands and I was gripping the scriptures and forging it into something that could just apply to my Monday. Does anyone want to fashion a sword? You want to raise your hand if you want to fashion a sword? Fantastic, because you know what? I had Ros make up these very same journals. They literally look exactly the same, except now they're green. 
They used to be red. Seeing as you put your hand up, you know, you can just pass those down through your row. There's some raw materials to work with. Here you go. You'll probably get some on Friday. But there's your raw materials to work with. You need raw materials to work with, but the initiative to fashion it into something of substance in your life is yours. Now, the whole point of fashioning it, this is the really important part. (laughs) You just raise your hand if you want one. It's a limited supply. Can we just thank Roz really quickly for making those up? She's got five more. I feel like Oprah today. Um, (laughs) You get a Bible journal. You get a Bible journal. (laughs) Everybody gets one. Okay. (laughs) The whole point of fashioning a weapon is to use it. We've got to remember that. This is not just entertainment. The whole point of fashioning a weapon is to apply it. After fashioning the sword, Ehud hid it. He strapped it to his inner thigh and then he went into the inner chamber or the upper chamber and he confronted the enemy. We remember what happened. Did we notice the part in the story where he thrust it into the flesh and all the dung came out? Did you, did you pick up on that part of the story? <laughs> now listen, there's a hidden paradox in this story. The whole, the whole story is completely paradoxical, but King Eglon indeed represents the um, powers of darkness that attempt to rule and rob God's people, but he is also a grotesque picture of our flesh which also attempts to rule and rob God's people. Getting uncomfortable in here this morning? Is that an uncomfortable uh, picture for us? It was, it was this that made Ehud slow and vulnerable and an easy target. So easy, in fact, that a handicapped man could overthrow him. And the paradox in this story is this. If we don't fashion our sword and fulfill the calling of God on our life, we become Eglon. We become like Eglon. Mildly insulting. <laughs> we become vulnerable and easy to... I've, I've learnt to ignore certain heckling from Laurie. It's called selective listening. You get it when you become a mum, but yeah. Anyway, so if we don't fashion our sword and use it, we become like Eglon. We become vulnerable and an easy target full of poo. Some of you are thinking of a different word. This is a holy place. Now, if we don't apply the word of God, we just get spiritually slow. We get spiritually vulnerable. We get spiritually... Listening to the word will not do you any good. Did you know that? Listening to the word and coming to church on Sunday, week after week, letting the word of God fall upon your ears doesn't actually do you any good. Hearing it doesn't do you any good until or unless you apply it. You've got to use it. That's why in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 7, says, Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Obviously the message translation. <laughs> and I love it. There's no use fashioning a sword unless you're going to use it. If you don't use it, it's just going to get heavy. Just feel like a burden. Just end up putting it down. Your hands get tied. You've got to use it. You've got to thrust it. <laughs> You're going to thrust it into the flesh all the way to the hilt. This is such an uncomfortable message to preach. And and when that happens, all the junk comes out of your life. (laughs) So a plethora of words I could use, but, you know, (laughs) it's so funny. We think the sword of the spirit 
you know, is a weapon to be thrust into the world and thrust into other people's lives and and we're going to spout scripture at people and it's going to change the world. No, it won't. You're not going to change someone by spouting scripture at them. Listen to me. The word of God becomes a weapon when it is thrust into us. It's true. You don't thrust the Bible at people and expect to change them. You want to change the world? You want to fulfill the calling of God on your life? You want to be a hero? Apply the word of God to yourself. The Bible wasn't written for somebody else. It was written for you. You know, this is what the Pharisees, this is where they went wrong because they got so busy applying the Word of God to everybody else but themselves. You remember that? And then Jesus, love Jesus, he has the audacity to say to them, you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God, which is incredibly insulting to a bunch of guys who spent their entire life studying the Scriptures. They didn't get it. They made themselves vulnerable. They didn't apply it to themselves. We get so excited. We were excited for a second, weren't we? We're like, I'm going to fashion my sword. I'm going to fashion my sword. I'm going to, I'm going to take some people down. No. <laughs> we get excited about it until we're like, oh, oh I'm Eglon. <laughs> you mean I've got, I've got to apply this thing to me? <laughs> it's like, you know, this thing is for me. I don't want to carry it anymore. All right? <laughs> when it comes to your calling, when it comes to our calling, we can be Eglon or we can be Ehud. We can be spiritually fat or spiritually fit. We can, we can feed on spiritual junk food or the true soul food. I can keep going. We can fashion a golden calf or we can fashion a sword. And it is the constant battle, isn't it, between our flesh and our spirit. Like we're saved, but we've still got defects until heaven, right? Our salvation is assured. We've still got sin in our life. Let's be real here. Perfection isn't in us yet. I mean, we're not perfect yet. Galatians 5.17 alludes to this. It's like, you know, there's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. What is, what is you know, sinful and selfish and what is humble and holy. And if we want Ehud to rule, Eglon has got to die. And I know, <laughs> I know this is a graphic and gory story. Extremely fun to tell, but... You know, some of you probably, you probably either love it or you want to throw up. I don't know which category you fall into. Bathroom's just down the back. But um, <laughs> it's revealing to us, <laughs> it's revealing to us how aggressively and intentionally we must deal with our sinful nature. This is what this story is reflecting to us. If we have a cancer, we don't sit around and, and let that thing grow. We deal with it aggressively and immediately with a scalpel. Sin has this capacity to grow and slow us if we do not put a knife to it. I love the message translation of Hebrews um, 4 verse 12 where it says, His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything with a doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. But I want want us to notice that um, before Ehud applied the weapon, he hid it. It says he hid it in a private place, his inner thigh. You know, that was symbolic of the place of circumcision. Ouch. (laughs) That is a risky place to hide a sword. I'm just going to say that. That's highly uncomfortable. But it's symbolic. In Psalm 119, (laughs) all the boys just got real uncomfortable in here. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The heart is the most vulnerable and risky place to have a sword. 
to hide a sword. But here's another irony in the story. Being cut is your very protection. It is so much safer to be cut by the word than to be infected by sin. So getting real up in here this morning. He never said there wouldn't be temptation. He said he'd deliver you from it. That's why when he teaches us how to pray, he says, pray this way, deliver us from temptation. Heroes carry swords not to fight other people, to fight ourselves. Our God has given us a sword to protect us from ourselves. Because it's our pride and our sin and our greed and our selfishness that inhibits us from being free to do what it is we came here to do. Isn't it? You need the sword of the Spirit to protect you from you. Come on. The the main one preventing us from fulfilling the call of God on our lives is not the enemy. It is you. The enemy knows he can't stop you. He doesn't have the authority to do that. But he can tempt you that he might contain you. We've all got defects. We've all got sin in our lives. All that matters is we just got to make sure we got a sword in at least one hand so that we can deal with it as we go. Does that make sense to us? Oh, got to make sure you've got to carry that sword. Your freedom doesn't come from hearing the word of God. It comes from applying it. We know that. Do we realize that? Reading your Bible is an empty activity unless the Word becomes flesh. The sword of the Spirit is the grace of God in our lives. It's the grace of God in our lives. It's your protection. It's good news, I promise. It's in the inner chamber where we confront the flesh. You know, Ehud and Eglon, this whole process went down in the upper chamber. Remember that? Matthew 6, verse 6, Jesus says, Whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Father God, praying to Him in secret. You know, prayer and the Word of God go hand in hand, right? You know, I'm so glad that God humbles me in the secret place. Seriously. Because, you know, quite a bit of the ministry I do is public. And so I know I always run the risk of being humbled publicly every time. It's it's actually... (laughs) That's called living by faith, right? I am so grateful that in the secret place he puts a pin in my pride and a scalpel to my sin where people don't have to see it. I'm so grateful he gives me the opportunity to bow to my knees rather than fall to them. Yeah, that's what the secret place is for. Oh, thank you, Jesus, because you can rest assured that before I have ever gotten up here, I have been cut down. It's the grace of God. In my life, thank you, Jesus. You cannot, because I know this, you've got to know this, you cannot fulfill your calling with Eglon. Unless Ehud reigns, you cannot fulfill your calling. Eglon cannot fulfill it. It's too selfish, prideful, slow and sinful. Ehud has got to reign. Anyone grateful for the Word of God? Yeah. Going to read your Bible? It's through this process of being sharpened and shaped by the word that our calling is released. Did you notice in this story that Ehud was not acknowledged as a savior figure? He did not step into his calling as judge until after this whole process took place. Happened afterwards and we don't fulfill our calling unless we have been shaped 
and sharpened by the word of God. And maybe that's not what we expected to hear this morning. Maybe we thought it was going to be more about our gifts than character when it came to our calling. Maybe we thought it was going to be more glamorous than gritty when it came to the calling of God. But you know what? It doesn't actually matter what you expect because nothing in this story is expected. In fact, if there was ever an underlying theme in this scripture, it is, it is dangerous to assume in this story. Ehud is left-handed, but he didn't fulfill his judge in a good old-fashioned right-handed way either. He's calling his judge and he's foreshadowing somebody. He's foreshadowing the most left-field, left-handed saviour that ever was. Jesus, so left-field. He did the complete opposite of what everyone expected him to do. The Israelites were expecting, you know how it goes, they're expecting Jesus, the, the Messiah, to come and deliver Israel from Rome in the good old-fashioned right-handed way. Exodus 15 verse 6 says, you will shatter the enemy with your right hand, you know. And they're like, yeah, he's going to come, he's going to raise up an army, defeat Rome with a literal sword, he's going to be the physical king over Israel, as it goes. And then Jesus came in a way nobody expected. He came totally unexpected as a baby, actually. <laughs> he didn't come riding on the clouds. He came as a baby, raised up as this left-handed saviour and not publicly acknowledged until after he came what it is he was to do. And he did everything opposite to what they expected. He, he let the children come to him instead of seeing himself as significant. He emptied himself of self. He, he was loving and gentle instead of like forceful and overpowering. He... He didn't bless the theological club of the Jews like they thought. In fact, he hung out with sinners and nobodies and had the audacity to let them into heaven first. <laughs> everything he did was the opposite of what they expected. Most of all, everything he did appeared as weakness, especially succumbing to the weakness of death. Nothing could be seen as more shameful and weak to be tried as a criminal and succumbing to the weakness of death. And they focused so much on what they defined as weakness that they didn't recognize the secret weapon. I love the Bible. They didn't realize the cross was fashioned by the hands of men, but the intentions of heaven. Before time itself existed, what was once a beautiful living tree Stripped of its bark and its leaves and its fruit and hewn and hammered and splintered into what looked like an instrument of weakness and death. What looked like a lifeless instrument of death and, and it was shaped and it was sharpened and, and, and interestingly once erected looks a lot like a sword because the, the end had to, be, had to be pointed so when it was thrust into the earth it would remain upright. Hebrews 6 verse 13 says, when God, when God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt, putting his own reputation on the line. You know, back to the hilt. You ever heard that? It's an expression referring to the anatomy of a sword. The hilt is where the blade meets the handle. And the, the, the expression means to the very limit, nothing lacking. You know what the scripture is saying? Do you know what it's saying? 
God backed his word and his promise to the hilt with the sword of the cross. Our salvation and our promise from the tyranny and theft of sin was guaranteed when that wooden sword was thrust into a cursed earth. Cursed earth from that very same sin. Stay with me. He didn't leave anything behind. No sin unpaid for. No one left behind. No promise lacking. He backed it to the hilt. You know, there's... This is the gospel, by the way. Is anyone excited about it? Are you grateful for the gospel this morning? Come on. This is good news. This is why we're in church today. You know, there is this... There is in sword fighting, which incidentally is... um. One of the few sports where women rival men, because it's not about physical strength, it's about mental capacity. (laughs) Take that. Um, (laughs) There is a signature move called the coisse. I'm looking at you, Jamie, because you speak French all the time. It is obviously a French word, and it does not mean croissant, if anyone was thinking. (laughs) I was hungry when I did my research. (laughs) I was like, croissant, no. (laughs) it means to take the blade and and it's brilliant the way the move works is it is by leverage it leverages the aggression and the strength of the opponent back against himself and it's the mechanics of the croisse that make it work see adding muscle strength doesn't help the the move it actually hinders it throws it off balance therefore it works especially well against an enemy Um, that is highly aggressive because it turns his strength and his hostility or her back upon himself. I don't know if that's how it works. I didn't Google it. I'm just guessing, but (laughs) should have gone on Pinterest. But um, (laughs) apparently that's my answer to everything because it keeps coming up when I preach. (laughs) And this is the best part, ready? It's not a move that requires a heavy hand, but rather the gentlest of touches. And in English, this is translated literally to the cross. The cross. To take the blade. And when the enemy was swollen and bloated and puffed up with pride, parasitically stealing the promises of people. He underestimated this left-handed saviour, assuming his strength and his hostility would be enough to win the battle over people's souls. But here's the thing. He forgot heaven's signature move. What should have been devastating proved to be disarming. Why? Because this left-handed saviour came with a sword of a different kind. And it is the transforming and triumphant power of the cross. Come on, somebody. Are you excited about that? I'm going to invite the musicians up. I'm not going to go for 50 minutes like I did last week, far out. But never see one here, so I'm not going to get in trouble for it. He single-handedly took on the devil and the power of sin and darkness and won the battle. He leveraged all that he was for all we could be. Jesus, the living word.
stretched across the blade, took the blade, hands anchored to the hilt. And he turned that instrument of death and weakness into an instrument of life. And it was a move so counterintuitive and illogical that everyone saw it as weakness. But there is no greater weapon than a life laid down for kingdom cause. Do we believe that this morning? YWAM is missionaries. There is no greater weapon than a life laid down for kingdom cause. Surrendered to the will of God. The cross fashioned and designed in the hiddenness of heaven. Before the foundations of the earth, the cross, I don't know, I think about these things, you know, I'm like, the crosses were made, swords were made in in the Bronze Age, but then there was like swords, there was like the flaming swords that the cherubim held outside the Garden of Eden, there were swords in heaven before there were swords on earth, and the cross was fashioned and designed in the hiddenness of heaven before there was ever a garden, before there was ever a man or a woman or a serpent or a dragon, there was a cross. Before you struggled in your sin, there was a sword. Before... Before you were saved, there was a saviour. Before you were called, there was a calling. Do you believe that this morning? But it was released after the sword hit the ground when the word collided with the curse. Come on, this is the gospel. As surely as the cross leveraged the enemy's attack against him and as surely as the cross destroyed every hostility between mankind and God, it is a scalpel that transforms us through the word. It is the paradoxical power of weakness how ironic your healing agent is a sword (laughs) eternity alone will reveal the brilliance of the cross when we get there maybe when we get there we'll see if crosses and swords are one and the same it was always there anyway the cross was always there before it was always planned. It was maybe when the Bible, so maybe when the Bible says, you know, you were to die to yourself, die to your flesh and carry your cross. Maybe, maybe we've got to carry our sword. Maybe, we, maybe it means we've got to carry the word of God with us and in us. Wherever we go, we've got to carry the word of God. We've got to grab a hold of it and never let go. Never let your Bible go. Never let your Bible go. We've got to use it every day. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5a says, When you, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. When you fashion your sword, he fashions your purpose. Why don't you stand this morning? I'm not finished yet, but I'm just about. Your calling and your purpose, you can just start playing. Your calling and your purpose is completely, listen to me, completely and utterly attached to the Word of God. They are so intrinsically connected that to separate them, it's to separate flesh and bone. You cannot do it. Do you understand that this morning? It's not a Christian habit to read your Bible. It's the formation of a weapon, but it's not a weapon that judges. It's a weapon that transforms. 
It's as how you steal and you claim your promises back. And you're calling back from the grip of sin is the Word of God. Each and every one of us in here this morning, we may differ in title or position or sphere of influence, but we've been given the same weapon. And we are shaped and hewn and splintered by the Word of God into something. that it, oh, at, the, at the end of the book of John, in the Gospel of John, I think it's 20 verse 23, Jesus said, I have sent you. You know what the word in the Greek means? Sent, it means thrust. It means to thrust and we, you and I, come on church, come on church, you and I, we are called to be thrust as living swords into this world. And we, But we will not be sent until the Word becomes flesh in us. Come on somebody, and this is it. We carry a weapon that is not divisive or condemnational or judgmental, but we carry a weapon of love and hope and peace truth and when you take that weapon into our world we're going to thrust love into our culture and the hate pours out come on somebody we thrust truth into our culture and the lies pour out and we thrust faith into this culture and the fear comes out come on are we grateful for the word of god this morning let's sing this song